0: social life it's the Tar show the Terra show don't ask if he's single you already know because it's a Terrarant show a simple name for a simple guy with a simple face it's the Terrarant show hello everyone and welcome to the Terran show got a great guest for you this week i uh, i spent some time with this guy in boston and uh I, I like him a lot so i decided uh let's let's get him on the podcast he's got a lot of stuff to talk to you about um he uh he is the creator and the showrunner i i guess you might call him uh, of survivor maryland which is a uh a, a fan fan made survivor uh game you might you might say
1: that's fair it's made by a
0: fan Yes, um, basically, uh, basically, you have created an, an on-campus version of the show Survivor, uh, and you you film it and you put it out on YouTube. And uh, high praise from the likes of Dom and Colin and uh, and many people. Uh, it's uh, it's it's Austin Trupp who has created the show Survivor Maryland. How, how's it going, Austin?
1: Thank you, Taryn. Uh, it's been a pleasure to get to know you over the course of the last uh, what is it like six months now New York Boston two times
0: yeah yeah something like yeah, that. be
1: part of the the big Empire
0: yeah, yes uh, yeah we uh, we met we met originally in in, uh, in New York and we stayed uh, the next time we stayed together in uh, in Boston that's that's how it works sometimes
1: yeah I, I'm I was like all I knew was that we were in this podcast house and that I was gonna see Taryn and Brent and I was like Okay, well, let me go listen to the Terran show so that I can uh, know these people before I meet them. Like, I had to do my background research. It was crazy.
0: And then, did you go listen to the Terran show with Brent? Because that's quite an introduction. Uh,
1: not with Brent. I did it on my bus ride up. But uh, I, I feel like I listened to the Brent show in person, so.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. probably the case. Um, well, uh, tell tell me a little bit more about uh, Survivor Maryland, just as an introduction for anyone that doesn't really qu- still quite understand what that is.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm Austin Trump. I'm the host of Survivor Maryland, showrunner, everything. And what that basically means, and I know that people probably at this point have at least heard it in passing before, um, but I decided in my college career, which this, this started about six years ago now, which is crazy, I decided to take the format of Survivor, the challenges, the tribal councils, the the same basic structure, and bring it onto a college campus. So you have everybody living in the same dorm or the same you know basic area. They're not living outdoors, obviously, but they spend so much time in the same place doing the same things, living similar lives. And so um, we had them go through challenges, and they strategize, and they, you know, blindside each other and form relationships. And I think the thing that's really cool that I've been able to do with this long form family game. There's a lot of games that are three days or one day or six days, but we're going for a long time for an entire semester. So you see relationships build and fall and and, and that full story that goes on. So these are full episodes on YouTube. Uh, basically a full extra season or five seasons of Survivor for you to watch. So um, I thought that it'd be really cool to have these long form versions of Survivor on campus where people could really challenge themselves and really do something um, fun in college that wasn't just about drinking or partying or whatever. And so that's where I kind of came up with the idea. And it, it um, took me like almost a year to convince people that it was actually like a real thing that I wasn't kidding about. Uh, but once it happened, it just kind of it blew up from there. It was so fun on campus. And I didn't expect it to develop into this kind of Internet presence, too, but that's Basically, a college version of Survivor, now put on YouTube, where um, we can get into the mechanics of that. But uh, put this all together, and now it's the end of my run.
0: Yeah, you, uh, you, you're you, you on the fifth season right now?
1: Yeah, so this is my fifth season. So I, I had, what did I have, nine semesters on campus. I started in my sophomore year, and I ran five different semesters of the game, and the last one was an All-Star season. So I took people, just as you would a normal All-Star season, from the, the best, best of the best, and uh, brought them together to create this really epic final season um, that I thought was going to be the last one ever until somebody approached me about keeping it going. Um, but uh, my last season, fifth season, and it's, uh, it's been a blast so far.
0: Yeah, uh, I we you screened you screened an episode for us uh, in Boston. It was the premiere of the All Star version. I hadn't seen uh, any Survivor Maryland uh, before this, um, but uh, I really enjoyed the uh, the premiere. That the challenge was actually really. You'd think that the one like issue that you might have with a a, a much more low budget uh, version of Survivor is that the challenges might be less impressive or less compelling. But uh, I I legitimately came away. From from that episode, saying that challenge was more compelling than any I've seen on Survivor in a long time. Uh, just like how close it came, and being able to follow the action and uh, and and seeing the uh, the two tribes uh, go against each other. And uh, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. I really thought it was uh, well put together.
1: Yeah, and I think that um, one of the reasons that, and I, if I didn't say this before, like thank you again for having me on, Taren. It's It really is helpful for me. I, I've been through you know six years of people. There's a lot of fan-made survivors out there and there's a lot of fan-made Big Brother and reality shows in general and they are very far-ranging in quality. You have some that are really well put together, really entertaining. You have others that are frankly, you know, someone taking their flip phone and recording some people like goofing off in the woods for a day and like they all kind of get bunched together and stigmatized together and so... um, you know, I think probably even for you, you would have probably said, eh, "I'm not gonna check out this like college survivor thing on the campus." But but once I get people to sit down and watch just one episode of it, um, I think I have the reaction gif of you and uh, Adam Klein and everybody like hands on the head uh, during that first challenge. And I mean, people get hooked. And I wouldn't I wouldn't spend the amount of time that I do on it if I didn't feel like it was a worthwhile product for survivor fans and reality fans. And so. Um, that's actually my favorite thing of all is to get people who probably wouldn't check it out ever to to sit down and be like, oh, I, I don't actually hate this. This this doesn't suck. It's it's worth my time."
0: Yeah, the, the, this doesn't suck. Uh, ringing <laughs> ringing. <of course>. Yeah. <laughs> um so uh so let's 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 rewind and uh and and figure out like how how you got here um when did when did you first get interested in the show survivor
1: so i was in high school and i had never seen an episode i'd only heard about it and i was listening to a sports podcast of all things and uh, they were talking about heroes versus villains and russell was this amazing character and player uh I will say that does not... I didn't get hooked on Survivor because of Russell, but that's all I knew at the time. So I, I started watching that season and I just was so hooked right away. It was this incredible idea of social politics. And I was a, a, a government politics major in college and something that I've been interested in. at did Model UN and Congress in high school. So I, that was really the part of the show that latched, that hooked me in really quickly. And I mean, I was, you know, from there, I was looking at every online game, everything I could do to try to simulate uh, that show because I, I was so invested in this in this social game. Um, and so it was late in high school and, and I just like really instantly fell in love to the point where I was like stopping my entire social life so that I could watch Survivor and binge it back. Um, that, that's where I got started.
0: How uh, had you always been interested in politics and, and government and that sort of thing? Like, uh, was that always something that you were interested in?
1: Yeah, it was uh, more kind of from like the large scale, uh, how how such a huge government works. I, I really like international relations and the way that, you know, countries build alliances and countries create some sort of sense of, of a this crazy world system that we have. Um, and like that's Survivor, right? From the first season, you had people who were thrown into this jungle. Um, and it really is a metaphor. Like you have these... People who have to f- create some sort of sense and some sort of order, and not only a livable community where they can actually live on the island, but also a structure and a gameplay that allows you to succeed. And um, so that's always been something that, that fascinates me.
0: What is your is your family involved in, in government or anything? You're like, did you get it from that side or or, or no? Not at all.
1: Totally. <laughs> oh, my grandpa, my grandpa did some government work and was like kind of internationally minded, but. Um, which is kind of my own thing that I, I actually, I think I played this game in middle school that was like, you like had your own country and you made it and you had to like go out and build alliances and win wars on the internet. Like this is something that I was probably 12 and you need your parents permission, but I didn't get my parents permission and I was, you know but so I just kind of developed it really early. I don't really know why.
0: Yeah, it's, it's I mean what about it do you think was appealing to you as, as a kid like uh, like about this this like system and politics and uh, do, do, do you have any sort of insight on that
1: I don't know I, I think that for me um, I, I don't know if I'm making a leap here by myself but like I always wanted to go to a big college I always wanted to go to um, be part of like a large atmosphere whether it's like a sports game that the most fans or 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 just just part of a big community. I always had a, a large group of friends rather than like a couple of really good friends. And I guess that to me like there's nothing that's bigger than the world, right? I mean, the universe, but you get my point. But there's it's just like such a huge community and this huge endeavor that we've taken on and um, I guess that I feel like it's hard for me to like care as much about things that are really trivial. Um, like I don't care about local politics really. I can't get excited about those. But like international scale stuff really excites me. This is like not something I really never thought of, but um, maybe it's making sense in terms of why I care about that.
0: That's what the show is all, all about. <laughs> that's it's, right. It's Learning about exploring yourself, exploring those depths. Yeah. Uh, so you like you like, you like the grand scale of, of government and how it's really just like how we you know operate on on the highest possible level.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that's a good way to sum it up.
0: Yeah. Uh, and so you saw Survivor as sort of a uh, a window into that in sort of a way, in, in some kind of way.
1: I think totally. I think it's a it's a it's how it started was the social experiment, right? That's how it's always been built, and I think that's accurate for the most part. Um, Nowadays, it's more so a game, but it is it is a test of of how humans interact and how people interact. And I think whether you like it from the psychology sense or from the you know scheming sense and and like Machiavellian sense, there's so many things to take and like about the show. I don't identify with the people who just watch it for the challenges or whatever. But there are people who do that, too. And, I mean, you have, like, kind of the sports element. You have the politics element. You have the human dynamics element. And, like, those are three of my favorite things ever. So, everything about it latched on to me or, or um, appealed to me really early on.
0: And did you did you grow up in Maryland or did you end up uh, moving there? Yeah, I've been in Maryland my whole life. I uh, have not left. It's a, lot
1: of, a lot of pride in my flag, which we're the only state that really cares about our flag. But, um, <laughs> yeah it's it's that's i've been i guess being near dc also gives you a little bit more of a political sense
0: what what is it like growing up in maryland like i i have no idea what maryland is even like
1: i mean i grew up in a pretty um, well-off area like diverse in a sense but like like median income in the area is pretty pretty good so you have good school systems that prepare you for kind of a political mindedness um there's nothing really defining about growing up in maryland like besides crabs so um you know crab cakes and football yeah lots of crabs but uh no it's it's there's 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 nothing i took from that itself but i think being near dc i kind of took like that aspect of life and being in the center of it all for granted
0: yeah were you always a very like academically minded Kid, uh, you know, you said you did like uh, like model UN, like that sort of stuff. Uh, was that part of t- being very academic?
1: Kind of. I think I was more engaged in like activities and clubs and and being sort of a leader, always more than I was interested in the strict learning aspect of it. I mean, I, I did well in school for sure, and I went to some really really good school programs that I think gave me a really interesting view on life. But um, but I I think that, and this is kind of why I decided to launch into this crazy survivor thing from the start was that I just like building things and leading and creating events and bring people together and that's something I was able to do all the time in, in my schools growing up.
0: Do you think that it was the school that encouraged you to be that way or do you think that you you came to it like with that you know personality trait, like you just you, you, you strive for that?
1: I, I think pretty much if you're in a place that gives you opportunities that isn't going to stifle you. As long as you have the, the availability to do stuff, like I, I kind of think you always make, uh, what, what's the phrase? You, It's it's how you make it. Like I, I, whatever school I was at, I would invent, like whether it was in high school, I created the, the Quidditch tournament for us, or I, um, you know, started the model Congress club or whatever. That was, the school didn't push me to do that, but they, I was in a community that allowed me to do that. And I think I was the kind of person who was like, if I want to do something, I'm just going to go do it. I'm going to create it, and, um, and that's what I did with the whole College Survivor thing. So,
0: yeah, I mean, not a lot of people, you know, find Survivor, fall in love with it, and then create their own version. Like, what do you, what do you think is the difference there? From you know, I, I think 99 percent of people they fall in love with this with the show and uh, and at Most they go and they find a podcast about it. Like, uh, <laughs> like wh- Like where? Do you, where's the difference there? How do you make that leap?
1: I just... I think part of it was I was so... I, I just always craved more of it. There was never anything that could satisfy my my appetite for Survivor, whether it was... you know, I binged all the seasons and I was like, all right, what's next? And I play these online games, but that's not the same. And so I was like, well, obviously the next thing would be to play the show, but that's easier said than done. And the thing that I actually figured out that I was able to do, and it started with me doing this weekend game in college, but I... I'd seen these people on YouTube. There were some some people who had made fan-made Survivors. I'd watched them. I was like, oh, this would be kind of cool to do. Um, but so, you know, if you if you create your own in- adventure, there's endless possibilities, right? And so, I if I couldn't get on the show, I absolutely could start something myself. And I just viewed the college setting as so good. And so, you know, now people... Now there's like 15 colleges or maybe close to 20 at this point who have started Survivor Games and i think once you see one person do it you draw that inspiration and so i had seen these these short term these these 3 day games or 1 day games and wanted to derive stuff from that and now people are deriving stuff from mine so i think once you get that little bit of inspiration if you're the kind of person who's going to go out and and
0: make it happen then then you can do it did you, did you try to get uh get cast on the show
1: yeah i've applied a few times um Obviously, I've not been out on the show yet. So, you can you can tell for yourself how that went. But uh, Are you
0: still are you still trying?
1: I didn't apply this last year. I, I kind of viewed finishing up this Survivor Maryland project as as my next goal with Survivor. And it just was so much managing the, the editing and the filming for that that I couldn't find it in myself to devote that much to an application again. I'd worked really hard the year before. Didn't work out. So, I was like, let me take a year off. Let me finish this. And then that'll be my next goal. And, and at this point, if I don't get on the show, it's not like I'm going to feel like my life is ruined. I would love to play. I would just love to play the game, but um I've I've had a lot of personal satisfaction from the show in general, so I mean I, I wasn't devastated by the fact that I didn't apply this year.
0: So you you found Survivor in high school, you said, and so then uh what was your what was your like plan for life at that point? You said you were very uh interested in government and stuff. Uh like what was your uh your your career goal? Uh I I've always been the kind
1: of person that I, I don't, like, I, a lot of people are very good at structuring goals and then achieving those goals and working towards those. And for me, I, I kind of like feel out my next opportunity. Like, I'll do something. I'll be really passionate about it. Eventually, either I'll complete it or I'll get less interested in it and I'll move on to the next thing. And so whether that was, you know, in high school, I would figure out one club I was strong in and then move to the next one. And that hurts in terms of you can't always dive as deep or, or spend as much time on something, but um that's what I, I did in college too with the, the different organizations I was part of. And so I never had an idea of exactly what I wanted to do. I, I had ideas about maybe I want to go work in the government or maybe I want to go be a lawyer or, or do whatever. And I feel like if I just like gave myself options, eventually I would feel out the one that, that seemed the best. And um, that's that was just kind of my mindset on it. So I wasn't, I had no plan going into college.
0: What was the process in figuring out where you wanted to go?
1: So... Kind of like how I, I said, I just kind of felt out the opportunities. I found an opening at a career fair that in my senior, or I guess my junior year, uh, I applied for it. It was like government oriented. It was what I was interested in and I jumped on it and I was like, well, I feel good about this one. I didn't apply to, to 10 million jobs and I'm very happy with where I am. So, so far my philosophy has worked out. Hopefully, you know, I won't um, miss out on opportunities because I'm not as actively looking for them in the future. But I, I feel like I am have been fortunate in a lot of ways, and and this was definitely one of them in terms of work. I got to to work in, in an area in a field that I really care about and am interested in.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, I was just talking to uh, to my last guest about this. Of like, you know, I, I I often find that there's sort of two different kinds of people that I talk to, where one of them is usually very uh, goal oriented and very driven towards specific goals, and then there are people more like me and like Mike that I talked to last week, and it sounds like you as well that just kind of like work very hard to make sure that our options are open so that we can sort of feel out where, where you want to go next. And, um, it's, uh, I think, you know, they're both valid ways of, uh, operating through life, but I just, uh, I find it very interesting just like it's, it, they, almost every time people fall into one of those two categories.
1: Yeah. And I mean, like the crazy thing now is you find these points in your life too, where things come up and you can change your path and whatever. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you put your total story of how you got into the, To all the podcasting world but i imagine it wasn't your plan in Mm -hmm. high school right (laughs) yeah and i mean people now that i've done this whole survivor thing which was again not something i planned to spend years of my life on but um i went on i i I get people now saying like hey go edit for the show like go go edit for reality tv go edit for survivor like you have that capability you have this skill set and part of me is like that'd be really cool i would love to go do that and it would definitely be a, a reset in my career, and I'd have to work from the bottom. And I don't have film training or anything, but it's just kind of crazy that you you fall into these these areas of your life that you develop and are passionate about and are skilled in. And if you're lucky, opportunities come up for those. And that's where you I, I think I like having a chance better to jump on those opportunities than to plan and get disappointed, or or plan and find out that something wasn't as good as you thought it would be
0: yeah yeah i mean uh, even like i never i never expected to be on a podcast and then when i (laughs) when i like applied to be on it i was like i still didn't expect to like for it to be a thing and then when it, once it was a thing i was like well i'm not going to expect that this is going to be like my thing like for a living uh even though i was like well if i could make it work i'd love to but like and i'm I'm gonna work toward making that work but i'm not gonna like ride everything on it i'm not gonna say that like this is my goal this is my only goal um Yeah, and even I, your even your pod
1: father uh rob <laughs> you know like yeah. He had the same thing, right? Like he didn't expect to go full time as a podcaster and sort of fell into this and you fall into this empire where you have nine thousand people watching your secret Hitler streams. Like <laughs> what well, I mean it's crazy, right? These the the things just that just come up when you're when you're open to them, I think.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, it could have gone all kinds of different ways, but I feel like um I've been I I think I think you know, in order to to live that way you have to be able to like be willing to work very hard because you You won't just fall into something, uh, unless you're working really hard at all the things that you're doing, you know what I mean? Uh, and then also, uh, you just have to like be very comfortable with, uh, with fluidity with, with, with like, just like being unstable because, um, you know, uh you're not always like oh well this is just the plan the path like uh you know four years of this and then four years of this and then this job and so on and so forth um and you know i still i still don't know you know what what's where i'll be in 5 years or anything like that but uh um it's always it's always interesting
1: yeah you get the financial advisors and people asking you well where do you see yourself in 5 years and 10 years and i, I totally understand why those are worthwhile questions but at the same time i don't want to pigeonhole myself into an answer where I get boxed in and, and can't change from that. And it's a long life. And If you, if you, usually there is a room for change, but I, th- I think you're right. If you're open to it and you're um, willing to accept that change and fluidity, you can end up, I think, being a lot happier in the future if, if you're the kind of person who can live without that structure.
0: Yeah. Uh, so is that sort of how you see your life now? Like you're still open to many different possibilities, even though you're pretty happy with uh, with where you are?
1: Yeah, I'm, <clears throat> if somebody were to offer me the greatest job ever in my head, which I don't know what that would be even, <laughs> but if someone were to say, hey, we're going to hire you to do this really cool thing for 10 years and it sounded great, like, yeah, I would jump on that. But at the same time, I'm, I'm really happy in the base that I formed. And so if, if you're happy with where you are, there's no, I don't see, your, like, I don't like change for the sake of it. Mm. I'm not the kind of person who, like, jumps at a chance just to, to shake things up unless I feel like it's a worthwhile shakeup. So um, maybe that's where I know some people who are just like, I'm going to uproot my life and travel for a year, or I'm going to go do this for a year or whatever. And, and I'm, I'm not spontaneous enough to do that, but that's kind of going back to the survivor thing. I mean, I, I saw this opportunity and I jumped at it, but I wouldn't have just created that for the sake of creating something. It's because I felt passionate about it.
0: Yeah. Well, tell, tell me more about that. So you started in, in college, right? That was or you said you started by creating like weekend games. Is that what you said?
1: I was in a Jewish youth group back in high school, and for my last convention, like a weekend trip ever, uh, when I was graduating high school, I, I planned like a, a day and a half version of Survivor, and it was really fun, and it was it was a lot of work that I didn't have to incur upon myself in like my you know kick back and relax last convention, but I had a blast doing it, and that was kind of gave me a, a taste of the whole hosting thing, and showed me that I was kind of decent at it. And so when I got to college, I pretty much all of freshman year, I when I created my group of friends, I thought they were an interesting group of people, and I was like, oh, wouldn't it be so fun if we were like playing Survivor and like backstabbing each other and <laughs> uh, manipulating and doing these challenges and competitions? And they were like, yeah, ha-ha, like that would be funny. Who would win? Whatever. And then it got to like second semester, and I knew them a little bit better, and they started to know that I really liked the show Survivor, and I wasn't just you know it wasn't just a fleeting interest. And I was like, no, seriously, like I would run this for you guys. What if we do it? And eventually I convinced 21 people who were crazy enough to give it a shot. And um, I poured so much, I think, so much energy into it and so much of my time and money and everything into it that I think people couldn't help but have fun with it. And they felt like they would let me down if they didn't. And I think that's that was the key to my success early on was making it such a passion project and such a high energy thing that. Um, people couldn't help but really care about it. And if, if you have a game, just like if you have a, a podcast and you were to half-ass it, nobody's going to listen or be interested in it. But if you if you put your all into something and people can sense that, they are much more going to be much more willing to fall in love with it themselves. And so that was my kind of mentality was spending this whole year getting people interested showing how interested I was and then converting it into an actual reality
0: yeah I can imagine that being one of the more difficult aspects of of doing this sort of thing is getting the right people and uh, that will be entertaining and, and, and good and also people that will be interested enough to follow through because you can uh, I, like my immediate fear would be, you know, Oh, they sign up for it thinking it'll be cool and it's this hugely long process. And then they just kind of lose interest at some point, they get busy with schoolwork or something. Uh, but uh, it sounds like you haven't had much difficulty with that.
1: No, I think that's been the, the thing I was able to tap into best was, From the start, I tried to find people who were really competitive and who would get into this game. And I was someone who played sports my whole life and I think I was able to create this atmosphere where it was felt like something that was legit and something that wasn't like a joke, wasn't some cheesy thing. And even if you would think of a fan made survivor and think that it's cheesy, but I think people who have seen the show would say that it's, it actually has some stakes or feels like it's, it's people are competitive. I think you, you probably saw that. Um, and so trying to establish that from day one and then find people who would care enough to say hey I don't really want to get voted out like that's such a it's such a deeply personal thing that's the great thing about survivor nobody wants to see your name written down for yeah. I don't want to see you anymore and I think if you find the right people they're they're just they can't help but but want to stay in and that's what I was looking for
0: so what was the process like putting it together? How did you come up with the rules, the, the, the time, uh, like how long it would be, um, thinking about the challenges and all that? Like uh, what was that process?
1: The first season, I mean, I spent a lot of the, the semester running up to that and the summer planning out challenges. Uh, so I was a camp director for seven summers. Um, and I obviously knew a lot of different camp games and, uh, you know, things that you could do on a low budget that were still really fun. And so I came up with modifications of those. I kind of studied real survivor challenges and tried to adapt things that I could take from that. Um, and then, so I, I pretty much had my cast locked in before the spring semester in 2012 even ended. And then fall of 2012, I is when I was starting. So I got everybody excited. I I didn't have a set plan of like we're starting this day, and we're ending this way. I just said we're starting the beginning of semester, and when everybody's voted out, that's when it ends. <laughs> so. Um, it was a little bit like free for all and I was planning on the fly. And as I went, but came up with the basic set of survival rules, what people could and couldn't do and the challenges and the twists. And once I had that, it was just kind of seeing how it went.
0: So how did you, how did you, uh, do the, like the, the the video and all of that? Like, did you have experience with, uh, with cameras and, and that sort of thing? Or did you just have to like learn that stuff for, uh, for this project?
1: I did a two year film class in high school and that gave me like a little bit of a sense of it, but not that much because I wasn't that good at it. So I came in and the filming really wasn't my mindset here. I was only filming some strategy meetings and some confessionals because I wanted to document it and I wanted people to, to get a chance at the end to see what happened. And I was going to make a recap for the players and it'd be all cute and all. And, um, and so I was using phones and my laptop or whatever, but I, um, I ended up, once I started going through that footage, I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting stuff. It was a fun season. And I put some episodes together from it and I put them on YouTube and I had like 30 people watch them, <laughs> like literally 30 viewers max. And, uh, and that was like cool and interesting and it was fun to do that, but I never even finished the season because I just had lost too so much footage and it was a waste of time. And I I remember the second season, the first day, I filmed a lot of the stuff. And then I was at the first Tribal Council. And the tribe that I lost, they were like, you film everything else. And you have us sit here and answer Tribal Council questions. So why don't you film us for everything? I was like, well, you could like that. I guess I should. (coughs) And so that's why I kind of started to film everything. And once the second season went on and it was like this really epic clash of characters and and blind sides and everything, I put it on YouTube and people started to like it. And I just kind of trained myself on the fly to film and to edit and to get the right angles. And certainly it was not my my specialty or my talent, but over over time, when you do it so much, you get a, a sense of it.
0: So how, how did you deal with the, the idea of like, they are playing on a campus and you can't be following them around, you know, 24 seven, like, and they're going to be talking to each other. How do, how do you handle that?
1: When I was doing it at first, I would have to go sit there for every meeting that I was able to film. So like the first two seasons I'm sitting behind the camera or holding the camera for literally every bit of footage, which was a really big waste of my time. (laughs) And like I don't know how I managed to succeed in school or like run other clubs. Like, I was pretty active around campus. I don't really know how that happened. But um, luckily, everybody at the beginning was really in my dorm. So I would just walk around in different rooms or I'd catch them in the hallway. And not everything was filmed, but I got a lot of it. Um, and then I I kind of figured out that everybody pretty much had a smartphone or a computer. So it'd be really easy for them to film themselves meeting each other. And once I figured that out, which I feel like I should have learned from the beginning, but once that got figured out, like the the footage went way up and I started to be able to record almost the entirety of what they were doing as they met each other. And I just drilled in their heads, like every time you're with a survivor player, I don't care if you're talking about Beyonce or uh, the next vote, like you hold the camera up and I will choose what goes in the show and just put it all there. And I promise you, I'll choose the right stuff. Um. So that was kind of like the life hack that I came up with to to get people to um, to actually record and uh, the happenings that were going on on campus.
0: And and that also explains why uh, why it takes forever to uh, edit them and get them to come out. <laughs> I, I'm, yeah. I'm I mean, people.
1: <laughs> I I had like 350 hours of footage yeah. from the, the last season alone, and I'm very the one thing. So <clears throat> I mean, for people who have <clears throat> sorry. For people who have seen my seasons, there's a huge difference between season one and season two and then season five in terms of the production value and the quality and the storytelling. And the editing was, I think, the big thing that I really learned on the go. And the one skill I think I do have compared to a lot of people who make these is I just have figured out how to tell the story in a cohesive way, in an interesting way, and to create all these pieces of footage into a narrative. I think that's something you are probably have like a this innate talent for in terms of I remember first one out and you put all these stories together. And I don't know how much that was planned by Josh or how much that was planned by you, but you had this amazing weaving of all the stories. And it's really hard to do. And I think it, it's it's the skill that you just have to kind of have and know and you have to have these pieces of information in your head that you see how they fit together and, and relate. And um, that was something that that's been the actually probably the most fun thing about going through it all is is figuring out that I had that skill and then applying it and getting better and better at it. Um, But doing that for 350 hours of footage when I'm really meticulous about wanting to include all the right stuff and the best stuff is, is really time consuming.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you, did you watch, do you like, are you, are you big on watching a lot of TV or, or movies? Like, was that always something that you were interested in or not so much?
1: I feel like I was like an average TV viewer. Like I, I've watched a fair amount of shows and I was interested in that, in TV and movie genres, but never to an extreme sense. Uh, since I've started editing, especially the last couple of years, my TV viewing has dropped off face to the earth. Uh, <laughs> but that's really just more about time than about interest. And, yeah. Um, but I really now now it's so much harder for me to watch shows just for the content. I'm like so into how they tell the story and what are they including in the cold open rather mm. than later in the show and what's the music cue going on here that's something that I care a lot about now, and it's totally changed I think how i how I watch t v or movies
0: yeah i I remember um this, I some somebody asked one of my editing professors like how do you cuz he he always talked about um like instinct and like you just there's not really a, a a good way to teach like you can teach the mechanics of editing but it's hard to teach like just how to know where the cut goes and and when to to switch things and and, and how to to piece things together and um there, so somebody i remember somebody asking like I, like so how do you improve that and he's like uh just watch more stuff i guess like uh the more immersed you are the the more of a feel you'll get at at, at best um and so i always was like okay well maybe that's like how why i feel like i have that instinct in me is because i consume endless amounts i've just immersed myself in uh in in this kind of media and maybe that's where the instinct comes from um but uh but i don't know i i I agree i do think like you need some kind of like you need to be able to to know and feel out exactly where to 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 cut something when to put something else in like it's it's really hard to to teach that you just have to like know it and and be able to feel it absolutely
1: and i think there was a really good podcast a couple of years ago where an editor of reality tv molly shock or sock or something um she was on with rob mm-hmm. and talked about uh the editing for reality tv and and how it was all about feeling it out and i think the crazy thing about the edgic being so rampant in survivor and i, I don't, not for big brother right because it's
0: i guess it's it is a an live. edited
1: show so yeah but um because of the live feeds but uh but for Survivor especially, this idea of edgic, I think is really cool and really interesting in a way of, of processing the show and looking at how the editing goes. But editing is so not scientific. Mm-hmm. I have never once thought about a confessional count or about yeah. what needs to go here or how to diversify it. It's all about feel and it's all about understanding in your mind what stories go. I don't even, I mean, occasionally I'll jot down some notes, but I don't do like really detailed storyboards or or write down and transcribe all the quotes. Um, Which maybe would help me, but I just have this knowledge of of where things are. And I I think whoever that professor was was absolutely right. You really cannot teach it. It's it's something you have to either have or not have. And you can get better at it. But if you can't figure out how to tell a joke, because jokes in editing are so different compared to jokes in person. Mm -hmm. Um, Where you cut, where you musical break. And um, I think it's a really cool art form.
0: Yeah. I, I fell in love with it when I, when I was in co- I was, I was the same Like I went to college thinking like movies seem fun. I like I, I, the idea of writing them seems like uh like it would be cool. Uh, I'm also interested in uh, psychology and other like v- totally random uh, <laughs> s- things. Um, but then the first time I edited something, I was just like, this is so fun. Like this is, this is, this is what I like doing. Like this is, this is more creative to me than writing is because Uh, I'm, I'm making connections that like when you're writing, you, you can do anything you want, right? Like you you can literally do anything you want, but when you're editing, you have pieces in front of you and you're forced to make connections and, uh, and, and create something new with those pieces that you never would have thought of before. Uh, if you hadn't had those pieces in front of you, if that makes sense, it's like, it, it opens you up to all different kinds of things that you never would have just conceived, uh, on your own. It's,
1: it's this puzzle and you have to put together the puzzle from these thousands of little mm-hmm. tiny pieces except there is no right answer. Yeah. If you create the answer but what you create ends up being this beautiful, hopefully, if you're good at it, it, right. it ends up becoming this beautiful mural. And I agree. I think that it's, it's hard. People will ask me, how is editing going? And I'm like, well, it sucks and it's long and it's tedious <laughs> and it takes forever. But then when I finish an episode and I watch through it back and all the music cuts hit right and all of the... The, the timing stuff and then i see people comment on my episodes and like oh i love this moment where you you know juxtapose this with this like that is such a satisfying feeling that i don't really get with anything else
0: mm-hmm. yeah it's 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 just so satisfying to uh i mean even like think about first one out like uh to to listen back to the parts that that you know like i nailed that one like it's just i'm like pumped up every time i listen to it like uh this is, this is nothing nothing else like it
1: no, absolutely not. I've listened to like like I, I, I tell people who that I, I watch The Avengers and this is not a spoiler, but the most recent one. Like the there's a moment where they go into one of the you have you seen it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the moment where they go back to Wakanda, whatever, everybody knows they're going back to Wakanda. And like right as they come up to the scenery and the musical, like the Wakanda theme jumps out, like that is my single favorite part of the entire movie, is like the the one cut that jumps together the music and the sound and everything and i i feel like there were actually moments in first one out i can think of that i was like oh man that transition between the Sonya song and the whatever like i it's these little things and people probably think we're crazy for for liking those (laughs) moments but but that's the difference between a a good show or a podcast and something that's just like I'm going to throw some clips on the screen and I'm going to put this 10 minute musical track behind it. And I I don't mean to diss other fan-made shows, because I appreciate how much work goes into them. And these people are creating really fun things. But I think that just based on life and time and like, I'm not, I don't get paid a cent for this, uh, but like it's a passion project. And I think a lot of people just kind of rush through it and put something up and and whatever. And it it is frustrating. that I think it kind of um, like affects the stigma for the rest of the shows. I think the great thing about podcasting is that it's become such this, this mainstream um, art form or, or you know, content form that a good podcast, like a, a podcast like yours or like Rob's or whatever, jumps to the top and people can appreciate that because they're already they're already cued to understand that they are a good podcast. Whereas mm-hmm. like a fan made reality show, people are are instinctually going to say this isn't very good. I'm just going to start at the baseline. Maybe I'll give it a shot, but I, I probably won't. And I've seen people on Twitter who are like mocking my show because it's not outdoors or it's a fan made thing. It doesn't really get to me because like, I know the people that have watched and and enjoyed it, but it is, it is really frustrating to spend so much time on a project and so much time editing and crafting when you know, you put everything into it and um, see people just not understand that at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I see what you're saying. Like, like there hasn't, there hasn't really been like a, a breakout fan made reality show that is like, you know, hit, even even like the mainstream reality audience that that like legitimizes the art form you know like uh like that's happened with podcasting like uh it happened long ago like this american life stuff like that and then more recently something like serial like comes out like really just like legitimizes the whole platform and uh and there hasn't really been anything like that for the fan made reality shows even though i think that um like part of what makes reality shows so popular uh is that they are cheap to make and they're like you know in the same way that you know and it became easy for anybody to make a video on youtube and like lots of amateurs got in on on just like creating videos um i think that this is a a ripe uh area to to explore and i think that you know there could be a lot of really interesting things that that come out of this, this area of like fan-made reality shows, um, especially because a lot of the, you know, big reality shows on television make some questionable decisions sometimes uh, because they, uh, you know, they feel beholden to like, you know, whatever they, they're beholden to. Uh, so, um, you know, it's, it's interesting.
1: Yeah. I think that it's, I mean, even, and I, I fan-made shows have been such a niche thing for years now. They've existed for probably at least 10 years. Adam Klein did a fan-made version of The Mole in 2009. <laughs> like, these things have been around for a while. They're not new. But um, but I do think there's been a lot of progress in the reality community about accepting these and understanding them. And, like, I, I don't mean this to toot my own horn because in the grand scheme of things, it's a really small viewership. But, like, I, I think I've been able to, with the help of people like Don McCollin and Redman and, and some other, like, noteworthy reality TV online community people, like make a little bit of headway in that. And since then I've seen, there's been other shows that, that make headway in um, in breaking that stigma and getting people interested and getting people talking about it. And I feel like like there's a, there's a Survivor Reddit Discord thing. It's like the, this app where people chat about like an alternate form of Reddit. And people are like, there's a whole channel about Survivor Maryland. There's a whole channel about International Survivor. And I think that we've come a long way in people feeling like they're not just like losers watching this show. Um, and just like with any movement, with podcasts or with gay rights or with, you know, different, like, you always see this, this, the initial, um, I forget the, like, political, socio-politics term in this, but, like, the initial instigators or trendsetters. And then you have the backlash. And then you have people, the adopters, the early adopters mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And I feel like we're at, like, the early adoption stage of the fan-made stuff. Um, but it's a, just a really interesting thing, especially because when you have that, Like, you have backlash from the other fan-made communities. Some people are really supportive. Some people, like, get really jealous of each other and get in fights with each other. It's, like, kind of crazy. It's this whole, like, underbelly of stuff. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going with that. But, yeah, it's an interesting thing in terms of a medium or a a subform of reality TV.
0: Yeah. And, and I do think that, uh, like, you know, if there were if there was any sort of breakout fan made reality show from my perspective, uh, it would probably be yours. Um, like, you know, yours is the one that I heard of the most before I even met you. I, I like it was Survivor Maryland was the one that would always come up. Um, and uh, and definitely Dom and Colin were uh, they were a, a big uh, influence there, I think. Um, but like, you know, Dom and Colin, they're they're trendsetters. They, uh, they helped bring the genius to the reality tv community as well um and i think that before the genius uh many of the community at least uh that that i'm aware of uh like they weren't really willing to check out foreign shows um you know maybe a a big brother uk or something like that but certainly not a foreign language version of a show um but you know the genius made it made its way in and i feel like uh, tastes are expanding and as more and more uh, you know, we get pumped with more and more television shows in general. We're more open to watching more, dif- more shows and different kinds of content. And um, you know, I like I'm, I use a, a website called tracked.tv to track all of my TV shows. And uh, like I, I keep track of every every single show that debuts every single week um because i, w- I want to because i'm a lunatic um <laughs> and so uh and like on that website there are lots of internet shows that that get tracked and and like uh like here's just a random person on youtube that has a show that it has a decent audience that now is getting tracked on this website and um like th- you know there are parody shows uh, uh there's a there's a great uh, sword art on sword art online Line <laughs> uh, parody show that was on tractor.tv I never would have found it otherwise, and it's fantastic. And uh, and it's just like I feel like this kind of content is becoming bigger and bigger. And uh, you know, I um, I I, uh, I think uh, I think you know if you continue what you're doing, I think that this is really a, a good place for, uh, for to be.
1: Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I'm not going to continue what I'm doing <laughs> because I'm, I'm out of content starting soon. But I totally get what you're saying. And I think that there's two things in that. One, I think people... I think TV has... It's not that there isn't creative TV or interesting TV nowadays, but a lot of that has transitioned to the internet. A lot of the creative projects there. But just as more people get into content making, I mean, yeah, YouTube has been around for 10 years now or more, 12 years, I don't know. But you have to learn as you go. And and now people in the younger generation and our generation are growing up with that access there. You know, you get all your stupid selfie videos out at 12 years old or whatever. And then by the time you're 25, you're ready to make like an actual TV show. And you've, you've binged and seen all this content on TV, on the internet. And I think that maybe, and maybe this is making a total leap also, but maybe we're in this, this different content creative phase where people are A, more willing to make content uh, for a low budget, put it online, see what happens. And B, people are more willing to, to give something a shot. I know that for starting a show that, Somebody recommends, unless it's in like the real mainstream, like Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad, something like that. I'm always skeptical, and I'm always like really critical of the show early on. But I feel like recently I've been more willing to try new things because if you take that leap and you're an early adopter, then it really pays off. And maybe more people have that mentality now. I don't know.
0: Yeah, and and I feel like in general there's less of a need for. The 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 layer of prestige that comes with you know being on television or being on a particular you know channel, um, like people are, are more and more willing to expand those those horizons, and uh, you know I, I think I think there's, there's so much room for, uh, like I think there are plenty of people in the Big Brother Survivor community that love the concept of these shows but are very frustrated with certain elements of them, and if you know if somebody else can come along and do all of the good parts and leave out the bad parts and the only difference is the production quality (gasps) is uh is a bit lower i think that people don't care that much about production quality and i think that uh you know there's a lot of success to be be found there
1: especially now that i mean my seasons a lot in production value have gotten a lot better because iphones have gotten better right and like the difference between IPhone, the iPhone 4 and the iPhone 10 in camera quality is absurd. And you have stabilization of your video and HD quality. It's crazy. And so there's the production value is becoming less of an issue because if you get to a baseline where people can watch it and hear it, they don't care that much. Um, it's really all about characters and storytelling. And that's something that I was definitely... That's, that was part of the whole impetus too was I'm at a college campus. I meet so many interesting people. There's plenty of people at a 35,000-person school who would be interesting reality TV personalities. They're just just—they're not looking for it. It's not part of their life. It's not something they watch. Um, and, and something that I always get asked about is casting. And people have issue with the shows like Survivor and Big Brother recruiting people. And I do think it's an issue because they recruit people who aren't interesting. But if you recruit someone who is really competitive or a really entertaining personality, it doesn't matter if they're a recruit. They just might have been the type of person that wasn't watching reality TV, but would be perfect for it. Um, And I think that a lot of the the quality in in some of these fan-made shows is just about um, finding those people and telling their stories too. They don't have to be on TV to have their stories told.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, So, uh, when, when, it comes to running the, you're also hosting the, uh, the game. Uh, do you, uh, I mean, I think, uh, one of the main criticisms anybody ever has of Jeff Probst is like, Oh, he always plays favorites. Uh, do you, do you ever have favorite, especially if you're playing with people, you know, or you, you have people, you know, who are playing, um, that you can you know, interact with and socialize with, uh, does that, does that ever happen?
1: You know, I, I think early on it was really never an issue because, I knew everybody pretty well. Or if I didn't know them, I got to know them really quickly. Being the only host and showrunner and maybe having a crew or two as I went, it was a pretty personal thing that I had with everybody. So I got to share this with them and I felt all their stories. And as long as somebody cared about the game, I cared about them in the game. So um, I never had an issue in terms of... I had people who accused me of playing favorites. I had a girl that I had, uh, you know, like had a crush on in uh, freshman year of college and like we had a little chemistry or whatever and they had been a thing for a bit and then and she was in Survivor sophomore year and <laughs> she was like a little bit of a target and then there was a tribe swap and everybody was like oh my god you rigged the game for her this is so crazy how could you do this and um I was like no I had a tribe swap plans since before the season started but I definitely got accused of that at times not really anyone seriously but even my All-Star season, uh, the person there's one person from the first season that I had known the longest, and they're like, well, you're probably pay- playing favorites there. I'm like, well, I wasn't. Like, I-, I care enough about the show more than I care about the individual people. But I will say I think that as I went on, um, you start to get a sense of when you're a storyteller and an editor, you get a sense of what's how a story is going to go, and what's, what's interesting, what people have more potential, what people have less potential. And um, that I had to make sure I was careful about because you know i can't put my hopes and dreams into the game if i convey those people can react to them and can make decisions based off those and um whereas the first two seasons i was just so lost and this is so much fun this is so amazing later on i really had more of a sense of being a showrunner mm-hmm. and and that my shows were on youtube and I, I had more of an understanding of where it was going and so uh, that was hard for me to balance but i don't really ever think that it had an impact on the game um it still was really fun for me to to see whatever outcome happened.
0: Yeah. I'm always, I'm always interested in, in that sort of thing because I feel like even just as, as somebody that podcasts about these shows, you know, the audience will often assume that I watch the show in the same way that they do in the sense that like, they are often rooting for certain people, like, you know, living and dying by these people. Uh, But like, in covering the show, I feel like I lose a a little bit of, like, my personal investment in it. Like, I care more about the show being good overall because, like, that's 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 more like i don't care if you know player x does really well because i can relate to player x and player x is really great Uh, i just want to see a good a good show because that's that'll help me talk about it um and i feel like that certainly must be like if you're jeff probst even after 36 seasons of this uh he must be even more evolved in that area of like like I don't think Jeff Probst cares at all about the individuals as people and like uh, like oh I can't I I'm really rooting for this person to succeed. Yeah, I think he is probably looking at it like uh, as you mentioned like the, I just care about telling the the best story and uh you know I, I'm not going to be like oh man really really pulling for this person like uh, if anything he'd be like oh I'm just really pulling for a good story or a good story moment.
1: Yeah I think that Jeff gets a lot of misattribution of intentions but i think that the legitimate criticism that you can maybe develop is that his idea of a good story or a good uh a good outcome isn't necessarily how the fan base feels or how the community feels or it's tailored to specific types of people and i think that's a fair criticism to make if that's the case so you don't want your storyteller to have a a closed-mindedness about him um because that again that does seep into his the way he, he views the whole experience But I I can't think of a way for me that I really, like, lean one way or the other. Maybe somebody can tell me otherwise that's watched my show that I clearly favor this type of person or whatever. Uh, But I don't know. I mean, I think that part of it is these are all people at college. I've identified with all their experiences. I know them all pretty well. So I have investment in them as people more than I do as characters. And from that sense, as characters, I'm happy with any outcome that's interesting. So... Yeah, I definitely get... I feel like I have a similar sense of Jeff and like wanting the interesting outcome to happen and wanting it to be a fun story. But I was really fortunate as I went through to have great outcomes no matter what. And I felt like no matter what, things were pretty interesting. And part of that was luck. Part of that is editing. And part of that is is casting and making sure that you have good people. But um, I, I always felt like I was kind of blessed by the Survivor Gods where I didn't have to be desperate for a move to be made or be desperate for something to happen because things would play out really nicely themselves.
0: Were you ever like blown away by, by something that was happening? Like, did you ever find yourself as the the host and, and the person running the whole thing, uh, just finding yourself like, Oh, wait a minute. This is, this is amazing. Like I, I'm, I feel like a fan right now.
1: So many moments. And that was the really fun part for me was I got to live it too, especially having being part of, you know, filming so many of those scenes. I'm never really removed as a production person. I remember there are nights where, um, across the seasons where people would stay up till 4am arguing with each other or would in uh, not like messy arguments like, like fun drama game mm. arguments um, and I would be like this is so much fun like this is nothing like this would ever happen on campus otherwise and I got these people to be so invested in this crazy game um, that was really fun I had people like steal idols they thought they were stealing idols from somebody else's room and then like running back and telling me and I was like I was like so confused because I didn't know what the real idol was. I've had things where, you know, usually I get a sense of who's going out beforehand from confessionals and my recording and talking to the players. I've had times when I've walked in and like I've literally gone to read the votes and my jaw hits the floor. Like moments like that are what make it really fun for me as I'm going through the season because I can't I can't predict what's gonna happen just as much as a, a viewer can. Like I it really is a mystery to me a lot of the time, and that I think means that we were doing something right and that we had interesting outcomes and, and changes and uh, a good show because if you're keeping the host on your toes, you're probably keeping the viewers on their toes too.
0: yeah, and it probably also helps in the editing process to know like that your experience like if you experienced something in a certain way and it blew you it blew your mind, then it's like I just need to replicate like what that felt like uh you know editing it together. Yeah,
1: I think that one of the things I try to do is tell the story how I saw it. Uh, I, don't, I don't have any beholdenness to making money or to a bigger network. My network is myself. And uh, I see these stories that I view as underdog stories or as character development or redemption arcs. And <clears throat> I think that I've usually been able to tell those how I saw them happening in real time. Like if somebody was hated at the beginning... But then everybody liked them by the end, and I saw that development. Like, I feel like the viewers have that same thing, and that's that's something also that's so much fun. And I think another thing where you could feel that with podcasting is when people react the way it's not the way you want them to, but the way you you think they should based on if they were there in that situation too. You're trying to put them in that situation and have them experience being there the same way you saw it, the same way you were wowed.
0: Yeah, and I think I think that's one of the things that helps, uh, like uh separate you from the 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 survivor on television and and part of what you know separates in a good way in the sense that like this is this is all coming from from you and you have a passion for what you saw and you have a passion for what you're doing and like the editors on survivor are often uh you know like like essentially being told like this is the storyline by the producers and you know they're putting together certain parts and like uh you know when they're putting a thing together it's it's not necessarily always coming from a singular perspective of like I really thought this was compelling. Now let me share this this compelling thing with you. It's it's you know more coming from a point of view that is like this is what's supposed to be compelling and uh, like oh look at look at what we got Ben to say about being a veteran like that's that's great stuff right there. Let's throw that in. Uh, like it doesn't matter. Like it's if it's not if it didn't move you, then it's harder to to put something out there that moves somebody else. If that makes sense.
1: I I definitely see what you're saying. And sometimes I wish I had gone back and had people open up about more of their personal stories. I didn't always like go get them to talk about how being a chemistry major affects their <laughs> view on survival, right? Like I wasn't forcing that kind of stuff because I didn't care myself, and I don't think people. I think a lot of the the, the online community that watches a show like this is <laughs> is um, and watches live feeds, I think too, which is a lot of your audience. I think that they're smart enough to. Take what they want to take out of it. They're not looking for four storylines. They're not looking for the same tropes you get in every TV show. And I, I like that. For me, in the edit, as the editor, I get to have total creativity about how long the episode is, what scenes I want to include, how much of someone I want to include. I don't have to worry about cursing or family friendly or whatever. I mean, I don't try to put anything that's awful, but um, I'm not constrained by any of the normal constraints. And besides, like money and production value. But once you get past that, like, I can tell the story exactly how I want to tell it. And I think that's something that's really cool. And I, I mean, again, I, I feel like I, I'm drawing a lot of comparisons with the podcasting thing, but you don't have to worry about whether your show is an hour and 37 minutes or an hour and 42 minutes, right? Like, you can, mm-hmm. you can talk for as much as you want, you can cut as much as you want, and I think that makes your product more feel like you.
0: Yeah, and I, like, editing first one out... I I, I've heard a lot of the stuff that happens behind the scenes with production and like I've, I've heard like they get excited when something exciting happens in the same way that you would when you're running the show and they have that passion. Like there, there are some great people that run the show of survivor, but then like, like for instance, the first uh, season of first round that I did, um, I was expecting the premiere of it, triple H to be amazing because they were all excited about how much great content they got. Um, and like, there were so many like interesting and, and crazy things that happened and, like the like the excitement was 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 palpable. Like the, the the production people talking about it. But then when the episode came out, there really was like a big disconnect in terms of. Like, it wasn't nearly as exciting as as I expected it to be. And part of that was that they had to cut a lot of that for time and because they didn't have the freedom to do that. And I think part of it also is what I was talking about before, where it's like the people putting the episode together aren't necessarily the same people living the experience out there and, like, uh, feeling how compelling it is and feeling the passion for it. Um, And, you know, I think that's a shame because uh, I think that... Uh, I think it's inevitable given the, the you know, how production works in television. But I think that's, again, one of the advantages that, uh, that you have when it's essentially like this auteur sort of uh, experience of, you know, running the show yourself, hosting it yourself, putting it together yourself. Um, you get something that you couldn't otherwise get on a, uh, a, a version of Survivor. And uh, I think that's that's worthy of, of checking it out just in itself.
1: Well, I appreciate you saying that, and I think that the the auteur word you use is really good, and that's why I'm like people have always asked me, why don't you have somebody help you edit, or why don't you hire someone or get somebody else to do it? And one time I outsourced a challenge to somebody to edit, and um, in the early seasons, one of the players was like, I'll help you edit, and he did it, and he was like, well, that was kind of lame. Like, what was the fun of that? Just cutting pieces of a challenge that are interesting. And so, since then, I've never once outsourced a single piece of the editing to anybody else because I I feel like I'm the only one who can tell the story the way I saw it. And I, I think that's probably true. Like, I think people like Matt Van Wagman and, and a lot of the executive producers and, and big higher-ups on Survivor are really passionate, have the right reasons, are, are totally in love with the show, and I, I love what they bring to it. And I'd love to meet them. But... Um, but you're right, there's a disconnect and there's a bureaucracy about it in terms of the lower levels and the higher levels. And uh, certainly when you have a one-person team, you cut off the, the vertical management. It's a very mm-hmm. flat flat structure when it's one person. So that's, that does, I think, translate to, I think, the editing phase and the, the, the post-production of the show pretty well for me.
0: So one of the things you talked about when you you were talking about you know creating the the game was that it was something that uh, that would be fun to do that uh, that you know wasn't necessarily like going out and partying like uh, you also talked about being very uh, busy you did a lot of different things like were you not a, not a big partier in college
1: I mean I would I would recreationally go out and drink and do whatever um, you know once in a while go to the bar if somebody dragged me there. But it just wasn't something that interested me as, like, this is what I want college to be. <laughs> it's, not, it's not what I viewed as the defining feature and the most fun feature. And, and I would have fun going out with my friends and seeing them. But, you know, I would rather hang out and spend the night in the dorm with them. And uh, so, I mean, I was an RA on campus, so that gives you a sense. Certainly, there are plenty of RAs who are about that life and are doing it for other reasons. But I wanted to be part of the building that floor community. And, um, for whatever nerdy reasons it was, like, I, I liked that aspect of being an RA. So I had that, I was a member of the student judiciary. So again, like I'm a narc, I'm not like that much fun, but, um, but that, I mean, it was more about, uh, I, I think I just wanted to prove to people because I, I kept being so frustrated. I think that that was people's idea of the only way to have fun. Mm-hmm. Like if you're not going out on this weekend night, you're not having fun. You're having a lame night. And it's not that, that it can't be fun sometimes, but I don't get it as like the entire lifestyle. And so that's where I, I came up with... That's not where I came up with the idea, but it was one of the benefits. Um, and I remember there was a time in season one where three of my good friends were who went out all the time were like, you know what, we're just going to stay in, talk strategy and hang out. And I was like, oh my God, that just validated the entire thing for me right there. <laughs> like the fact that you, you actually chose on your own willpower to stay in, talk some Survivor, and you had a good night. They had a really fun night. And I think that a lot of people that that are really big partiers or weren't fraternities and sororities that played the game, still came out of it saying this was actually the most memorable experience and the most fun experience I had. And that meant a lot to me that people's only association with college wasn't that one aspect. That's a fine aspect to have, but I think it's healthy to have other aspects too. To challenge yourself, to something totally unique that you're going to remember I can get together with people who did Survivor and we could talk for four hours about the season that they played in. Like you just, you don't get that with anything else on campus. And so um, that, it wasn't like I was trying to stop people from living that lifestyle and it wasn't like I never did it, but it just wasn't something that interested me and I was glad to give people other interests too.
0: So uh, you also talked about uh, like a, like a girl that you had a, that had a crush on at one point, was it? Was it like uh difficult uh, to have a dating life with so many things going on? Yeah,
1: I mean, that was actually something that I always said in college, and and there were many reasons behind this. But one of the big ones that I think was was really true motivation for not dating was I just didn't have time for it. Like I between running Survivor and school, and I started an organization to help the homeless randomly that came up in a class. Like I I did a lot of really fun stuff and cool stuff on campus. I went to all the sports games and. Like, who has time for a relationship in that? Like it's, it just weighs you down. You stop talking to people. You spend so much time with just them. So I didn't date anybody in my four years of college. And um, I think that did open up a lot of time for me. Uh, and it, it wasn't something that I felt like I was missing out on while I was there. So, um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say don't date in college, but I definitely <laughs> would say that don't spend your whole time looking for a relationship because you're closing your, closing your time off from so many other things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, was it, was it difficult to like, uh, cause that's, I, I, I mean, at least from my perspective, that's where a lot of people sort of, uh, like ex- experiment with like, this is what dating is. And this is what dating means to me. Like, did you find it more difficult once you were out of college and you know, the, the opportunities aren't as, uh, you know, uh, frequent.
1: Well, so remember when I said that, like, I'm really lucky in that I had this mindset where I didn't have goals or I didn't you know, know what was coming next. So I, I finished my, I, I stayed an extra semester in college. So I had like four and a half years. And on like pretty much the exact end of my, the end of my senior year, I started dating. So I had my whole college life without looking and then started looking for like two weeks and found someone <laughs> and then dated them for three years. So I mean, I'm not saying I would advise people again to, not look and then fall into something (laughs) but i wouldn't say it's impossible so uh you know if you're open-minded like like we've talked about then i think eventually something will will come up and it'll feel right for you and if you're having trouble with that and need to go out and look someone i'm certainly not going to complain people for doing that and for some people they met their the love of their life in college but i feel like i know more people who have either had their high school sweetheart or didn't start dating till after college. Like, I don't know many college relationships that have actually lasted Mm -hmm. because it's such a weird time to start dating. You're so close to them like you could live in the same room, basically. And then you move on to the next part of your life and you have to, like, diverge. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's actually a really hard transition. So my advice would be live college life without that being at the forefront. And it worked out for me. So clearly it'll 100% work out for you. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah well i well i think i think pro- probably one of the things that helped you was that uh i think that if you are actively looking in some ways that makes it more difficult it's one of those things like the harder you try to to grab it the more difficult it is to grab uh yeah. like kind of kind of like the like you have to unclench your fist to to pull out of a jar you know what i mean
1: <laughs> uh <laughs> i heard that but i guess that's true
0: right <laughs> so um so it's like uh that that probably you know helped you be so successful on like a one a one shot kind of kind of deal in that sense maybe
1: i I think i just got really lucky honestly (laughs) i don't think we can we can really apply it as some bigger lesson here like just just you know keep a horseshoe by you you know give some prayers for good luck and uh i don't know This is, I'm not going to be the person to give dating advice on a podcast because (laughs) I have a weird dating history. I don't have a weird dating history. I just don't have much of a dating history and it worked out for me. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I'm indicative of the normal way that people go about it. I don't know if you can speak to whether college was super different from you in terms of dating in it versus dating out of it, but I I can certainly understand how it would be harder because you pretty much have to either use an app or go to the bar, right? Like That's your only option.
0: Mm-hmm. uh so uh so you you did survivor all the way through college and then you said that uh once you um you thought you were gonna finish you ended up doing more so tell me how that ended up happening
1: well i i had done it for like three semesters um in pretty close succession i did two in one year and i got really burnt out after my third season and i was like like it had a really dark ending if anybody has watched it you definitely know this but like People have compared it to the end of Palau. Some people would say Come it's on. even darker because it like didn't have any sort of closure or resolution. Uh, very intense ending. I'm not, I'm not over dramatizing that, but burned me out too. I had like kind of a crappy feeling about it. Like, wow, that I just like grew relationships and mess people's lives up. But, uh, so I took a semester off and then as that semester was going, people kept asking me about when is coming back. And so I, I got recharged. I did it again ran the season. And I knew I wanted to have an all-star season at the end, uh, bringing those people together. So I was lucky that most people hadn't graduated. And I got to do that, which was an incredibly fun semester. But I thought that um, that was going to be it. I thought it was in the end. I was pulling out all the stops. Like, this is the last uh, season. Who cares? Like, let's just go out with a bang. And uh, midway through, you know, a few episodes in, I got reached out to, reached out to by somebody on campus who was like, Hey, I would love to play Survivor Maryland. And I was like, well, I'm graduating, so good luck with that. And he was like, all right, well, then I'll host it. And I was like, okay. And he was like, well, is there anyone else that's going to take it over? Like, what's my competition? And I was like, uh, nobody. So uh, I was like, it's either you or it dies. And um, he reached out to me. I brought him on to the crew. And, you know, he's my little apprentice. And uh, he now just finished his fifth season of the show. So um, there's ten seasons of Survive Maryland now, so I, you know, once I graduated, I couldn't possibly do it on campus. You have to actually be there and be so actively part of it. But I did some consulting, and I still help out with with casting and stuff, and so I'm still part of it. But um, it's been it's continued at Maryland as I've left, and now it's about to transition to a third host. So that's been really cool to see the legacy go on.
0: Yeah, uh, what what was it? What was the experience like? having them go online especially once it started to get more successful um of both the the like the players who uh, like probably never imagined that there'd be that many viewers in the first place but also from your perspective like what, what, what what's the uh the reaction like
1: i mean i think this is something you can attest to like I don't understand how people can have content out there about themselves and not watch it or not read the comments. I'm obsessive about every piece of feedback I get. And especially because I put so many hours of work into it, and I spent all my free time doing this pretty much, Like, that's the real payoff. And that wasn't the payoff I expected to get because I didn't even expect to be editing it at first. But once that it did start to pick up some traction, and once I had people who were avidly commenting and posting their edgix and living and breathing every second of it like that makes you feel really validated as a creator um it's no fun to create anything if nobody watches it like i don't buy anybody who says they don't care about their viewership or their feedback or their ratings you absolutely do you want to see the payoff of what you did and um you can get self-satisfaction too but i think that it, it adds a whole other layer so that was a really fun unexpected part for me and I'm I'm certainly have no level of fame or anything, but I will say in Boston, somebody went up to Adam Klein asking where I was. So, uh, so moments like that, I think at least give me like a small ego boost that uh, make it feel worth putting in the the hours of work. Um, and, And I think seeing whether, whether it's just really intense, there's a difference. Like, I think I've had some really intense praise from small groups of people. And a lot of times that's just as powerful as like, decent praise across a large group like there's a very intense committed fan base of, a, of a, you know a small amount of people and I, I love spending time with them and chatting with them and doing recaps and you know i love to have more people watch it for sure it's it's the more the merrier but um i'm glad to even have a, a fan base that cares about it at all and is invested in the project
0: yeah i mean uh it's it's probably much more difficult for for you in terms of uh uh, like in comparison to me at least because like at this point i put out so much content that i can't even keep up with all the feedback uh whereas you spend a ton of time on one piece of content and then you like release it out into the wild and then you're just waiting for for the, you know, the response. Um, so like, I like, you know, I, I can see how it would be even more, um, you know, like, uh, uh impacting the, uh, the, the feedback that you do get.
1: Yeah. Uh, and also, I mean, as the, the bigger it's gotten, and again, I'm not saying it's at some big level, like I have probably a committed audience of like 2000 people, but that's fun. And you realize as you scale up in size that, you can't please everybody. And I'm sure you've learned that at this point, that (laughs) you absolutely cannot please everybody. And so you start to become better at... I mean, it's so easy to focus on the one bad comment versus the 100 good comments. And so one person who's saying, oh, your editing sucks, or uh, I hate everybody, or whatever, like, why do they feel that way? And it really gets at you. But I I, I do think I've become better over time at processing that correctly and appreciating the good feedback over the bad. But... Mm. Um, I agree, especially. I mean, you know, I was waiting. I filmed All Stars this season I'm airing right now in the fall of 2015, and it's now 2018. And having three years to wait for the payoff of that, something that I knew was so good, was a long wait. And, you know, it's very satisfying, but it also is almost impossible to meet the level that I wanted it to be at because I've been working on it for so long.
0: So, so did the, do the players ever get involved with, uh, like the, do they read the feedback about them, the, themselves and like, uh, do they ever get, uh, you know, upset or, or happy or like, uh, anything like that?
1: They they definitely do. I, certain people do. And other people totally don't. Um, that doesn't have a direct correlation with how well people did. I've had people who make the final do really well and never read a second of it or read a, a one sentence of it. But, um, that blows my mind, and I don't know how people can ignore that and, and tune out of that, but maybe they're just not you know, part of that community already, so they're not as keenly aware of it or thinking about it. Other people will totally invest in it and read every comment and stay up all night watching stuff. I mean, people were chatting last night as, like, Ligori and Matt Gagan and everyone, Scallion, Charles were recapping it. They were interacting, which is really fun. I, I like that aspect. I like when people are like, oh, Nicola, she's the worst. She should go break a leg. And then Nicola goes okay, guess I will. And the person's (laughs) like, Oh, now I feel bad because they're a real person because these are, these are definitely real real people who did not really sign up for this aspect of it. Mm -hmm. So, um, they definitely engage and it's, it's very fun for them to see, especially now that it's, it has a pretty good viewership. It's definitely fun for them to, to follow.
0: So ultimately like what is the most difficult part of, of the whole thing to, to manage? Wow.
1: Um, I mean, in the moment when it was happening, it was just like figuring out the time in my life and everybody else's life to schedule events and, and schedule all of it. Like that, that made me pull my hair out so many times. Now it's just, you know, even though I set myself up pretty well, like I'm still scrambling every week to get an episode out. Like you, I'm sure you know from editing. Like you can, you can have as much time as you want, but until you can't get it all done until it comes down to that that wire in your You're putting those last cuts together and if I have an episode that's ready to go for a month before, I'll make cuts every day up until that last day. Whereas if I'm doing it over three days, I'll just, you know, do those three days and feel good about it. But I, I get to be such a perfectionist that it's hard for me to just let something go or to just feel like I'm I'm missing out on one little thing. And that's the hardest part for me to manage right now because I work full time, I have a life, I'm dating, I you know, have some semblance of friends and activities and try to manage that and also spend hours editing in every any given week so that is the hardest part to manage all of it but so far I'm surviving and uh, hopefully I can keep it going throughout the season but uh, I will certainly be ready for a break when it's all said and done
0: yeah well you mentioned that uh like you don't make any money off of it did it did it ever cross your mind to try to monetize it in any way um and uh do you think that that you could have been successful if you had tried
1: it's something that has been brought up to me a lot i don't think it's ever crossed my mind personally because it never felt right to do that like first of all i feel like i could probably be incurring copyright stuff if i really wanted if i Mm -hmm. really tried to do anything out of it like let's be real i'm Doing Survivor, I didn't change the name to Surviving. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So that's definitely an aspect of it. Um, But I don't know. You know, something about trying to charge people money for a fan made reality show just felt wrong to me. And I know some shows and fan made content um, have done that. Um, I know podcasts have successfully done that, but I I don't know why. I just. Unless you're releasing a show on a regular basis, I just think it's just wrong to take people's money. And for me, who was not releasing stuff for a year at a time or two years at a time, I couldn't swallow people giving me my money to not know how much time I was spending. I didn't have a set schedule. And could I have, I'm have? i sure I could have made a, a an okay amount every month that at least made me feel better about spending all my free time on this. But I don't know. I, I don't regret the decision not to because I... I always felt like it was a passion project. People could totally tune out on my show if they wanted to. I I would feel bad making them pay for it. I don't know why. And maybe I have the wrong view on that. And I'm just, I mean, I'm not in business. I don't work in that field. So maybe I just don't have that that instinct that I need to, to to exploit things for money. But I I don't know why. It always felt like something I was putting out for the community. And I, I wouldn't want to make people pay for that.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think it. I think it just depends on like uh, the perspective that you have on it. And you always looked at it as the the like a hobby, like a thing that you were doing on the side. And um, like, I think that if if it was something that you wanted to continue, like like, you wouldn't be able to continue doing Survivor Maryland f- forever uh, for free, right? Like, it, like if people wanted to, uh, like, if you wanted to continue it, you would have had to have charged money for it in order to, like, justify spending as much time as you do on it, I imagine. Um, and, uh, and I think that's, uh, like, for me at least, like, that's when... That's when like the monetary aspect comes in, like when you want to support the thing that you're doing and advance it. But um, for you, it was always just like this passion project that it was going to start at one point and end at one point. Um, so like it, I think it completely makes sense, you know, where you're coming from with it.
1: I think you're definitely right about the continuing aspect. That that certainly isn't a uh, thing for me. And, and I, I guess... Um the timing for it would have been so weird because it, it didn't really take off until my fourth season got glory. like there was definitely a fan base but uh it, it didn't really take off till the end of that and then i was going into this super long hiatus to edit uh and I, I just would have felt so bad about starting it right during that hiatus i know people could have i could have done you know a patreon thing and people could have only paid if they wanted to pay and weren't obligated to they can still watch for free which i i like that process but I, I definitely think that um, the problem is really that it became more time-consuming than a hobby, but less time-consuming than a full-time job. So I'm in this in-between state, and um, whatever. It's I don't. I'm not desperate for the money. I don't really care as long as people. The the thing that gives me more satisfaction than the money is when I get a message from somebody saying, "Hey, I always thought about checking this out, but wasn't sure." But I checked it out. I loved it. I'm hooked now. I'm going to keep watching. Like That for me means it's way, worth way more than $10 per month or something like that. Um, that gives me so much satisfaction and that validates my entire time that I spend on it. So, you know, if people give it a shot and give it a fair shake, then that's basically them paying for me. And uh, that's all I can really ask for in that sense. So I, it's not something that I that I lose sleep over.
0: Yeah. Well do, you, well, do you think that it is something that... Uh, like, if, if somebody did want to. Uh, you know, like how podcasts have now gotten, you know, more established and, and YouTube shows have gotten more established. Do you think that if this is an, a, a sort of up and coming, uh, area of, of content creation, do you think that there is room for somebody to say, I want to try and make this my full time thing and, uh, just like create a fan made image? I mean, it's certainly, uh, Audrey from big brother 17 is doing that with, sequ- or is trying to do that with sequester, um, like, do you do you feel like being the creator of one of the most, most popular ones, do you feel like that is something that is feasible?
1: So, I haven't talked about this a lot, but I actually got approached pretty early on when I was doing this by a group of people that wanted to do a, um, basically, like a, a vacation spot where people would come to play fan-made Survivor games or Big Brother games. They would, like, basically get a hotel for a night and then live outside for a week. And they would pay for the experience and they'd have people that run these weekly games. Um, I think that there was something recent that Richard Hatch and people were trying to do with that or Ozzy. There was something like that they were trying to do. Actually, I don't know what happened with it, but I feel like I heard about that on the Reddit. Uh, So this was a thing that I had been asked about. People were really trying to get me to help plan it and help, you know, run the challenges, run the event. They had seen that I had done it before. And, and I, I was evolved a little bit and gave it some thought, but A I didn't really have the time to work on it. B I was like nineteen and I'm not Michael Jurger and wasn't ready to work full time. And C like I just to me it's not sustainable. I don't think that there is the the level of audience buy in to merit doing it full time. Like I feel like I produce really good content comparatively relative to things, and yet I still can't crack into ninety nine percent of the survivor community. So if there isn't if it's so hard to do that, just from people spending an hour a week to, to watch the show, I don't think it's feasible to get people to pay either in a subscription kind of content or to go somewhere and do it. And that's just me, I think, being honest about it. And that's why I didn't like go all in on that venture. Um, maybe if Survivor I, I kinda wonder which way it would go. If Survivor went off the air, would there be more people that are desperate for this kind of content, desperate to see the show keep going? To have this kind of alternate version of it keep the game lasting? Or would people just lose interest because it's, you know, the time has passed? That's something I wonder for the future is, you know, inevitably it's going to happen at some point. It can't go on forever. I don't think it can outlast Jeff Probes. Um, but what would that do to the, like, the fan made, the sort of lesser content? Would it bump it up? Would it would it raise in value? Or would it take it out completely? And maybe that's something that we'll see at some point. Maybe that's it will become feasible. But right now, you know, I think you could make a you know a decent side wage or or get people interested in it if you're really good at it. But I don't think it's feasible for um, for a full time venture. If you watch my show and you would pay for it, I'm not interested in doing that. But message me because I'm really curious now to see what I uh, what I could have made from it. <laughs> yeah, just so I know in my head, this is my my imaginary earnings. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, cause I, I do think it's, I, I do feel like there are a lot of different areas that, uh, like, like what we've talked about in terms of content and like fan-made content. And then also like the, the growing popularity of like escape rooms and that sort of thing. I feel like there are different Areas of this thing that are kind of building up. And I feel like, uh, you know, it, if, if those kinds of trends continue, I could see something like that where somebody goes to play this sort of game. Uh, I could see that sort of. Evolving and, and growing, uh, but I but I think I agree. Right now, it's probably not there yet. Um, but I'm very I'm very interested about it, in like tracking that and seeing if it continues to grow and seeing if like these different areas continue to converge uh, together to potentially create something. Because I think there's a, a lot of possibilities that can stem from it.
1: Yeah, I, the escape rooms one is an interesting point because I think that is kind of an experiential um, venture that people really latched onto. But it is also so much shorter. I kind of feel mm-hmm. like that maybe we missed the window. Like if, if social media and the internet had existed back when like Survivor first was really popular yeah. or when a lot of these shows were taking off, like I bet when there were 40 million people watching, people would have jumped at the chance to go play it. And maybe that was the time where if we had had this, with such easy access to information and to creating these ventures, maybe that would have been the time. And now it's just like it's, it's fallen a little bit too far out of the mainstream so that it would be tough to do. But I don't know, you know, the bachelor is so culture, culturally relevant. Maybe we can have like our, you know, our own side bachelor games. People can pay to find their future love. Like maybe that's the next,
0: the next endeavor. I don't know. <laughs> Just, I, I can already picture the articles written by pseudo intellectuals, mm-hmm. like uh, this, the decline of society, the downfall. <laughs> We're now doing bachelor in real life. Um, <laughs> I, I hate those yeah, writers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, thanks so much for uh, for coming on and talking to me about all this stuff. Uh, very, very interesting stuff here.
1: Yeah, I hope so. Um, I I had a blast talking to you about it, and as, as a co-creator of content related to reality TV, I feel like we have some uh, some similarities in our mindsets about things, which that was cool to figure out.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't usually get to, like, have these kinds of, like, like we talked about editing, we talked about, like, production process and, like, what it's like to produce uh, a, a, sh- a thing like Survivor, but also, like, the current state of, of content creation and, uh, you know, uh, dating in college. Oh, we, we're all <laughs> over the map here.
1: Really, really all over the place. And yeah. I, I probably neither of us are actual experts in any of those subjects, but maybe <laughs> people thought that we were, and that's really the goal, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's basically what a podcast is, is just uh, talking enough that people think that you're an expert. <laughs> yeah, that's a way to sum it up. Yeah. Uh, Alright, well, thanks so much uh, for joining me. If people want to uh, find Survivor Maryland, uh, how would you suggest somebody jump in because um like when i watched the premiere of the fifth season the all-star season i was like this this is awesome i want to go back and watch but i was a little bit like lost like where where should i start where should i go back and try to watch season one should i like uh like uh, give me the the primer and like the the guide on how to get involved in watching survivor maryland
1: all right so this is what i always always will go with if you are on the fence if you're like i know he's been talking about it i know i've heard about it but like isn't it really good? Like it, it, it might still be terrible. If you're really on the fence or a little skeptical, go watch the premiere of all stars like Taryn did, you know, get hooked on that first challenge, whatever. Uh, I think that you'll see enough there that you'll be like, wow, this is, this is, if you're, if you like survivor, this is worth my time. Um, if you're on the fence, go do that. If you are fully committed and you're like, at this point I'm sold, I'm ready to go. I want to put the time into it. Um, you don't want to get spoiled on the past seasons, obviously, because there are some spoilers in, in All Stars with, with what happened before. So I would say don't watch season one. It wasn't meant to be put on YouTube, and it's barely on YouTube at all. So just just skip that. You don't need it for All Stars. There's only one more person. Start with season two. Know that the production value is a lot lower. I had not figured out how to edit as well, especially till the post merge. But the payoff, a lot of people say it's their favorite season. So if you're going from the beginning, definitely go to that. And then keep going forward up to All Stars. But yeah, so that that's the two the two aspects I give. I give you the choice. Either watch that first All-Stars episode, don't skim through it. If you skim through it, you're not gonna like it. Because you're not gonna see it for the production value or the beautiful scenery or stuff. Like you have to be a mess in the story, or you're not gonna care. Um, so give it the full shot, but just try that episode. Otherwise, season two, Maryland Outback, back, go for it. And um uh, I mean, definitely let me know what you think. Like, if you think it's terrible and it's not for you, then that's okay. If you need the living on the island, then that's fine. But um, I, I'm not going to hold that against you. But I would love to know if you do watch it and you and you do end up liking it. And, I mean, word of mouth is the biggest way to spread anything, especially on the internet. It's so essential for people who have seen this to talk about it. And that's been the only way that it's spread at all. Because I can sit here and tell Taryn... There's this show I run, Survive Maryland. It's great. You should check it out. And Taryn will probably be like, Yeah, okay, okay. But um, when somebody else that you know tells you, you actually give it a shot, you're a little bit more likely to to give it a look. So if you did like it, I I know I have to be shameless in this, but definitely tell a friend. You know, tweet about it, whatever. Um, it, it does mean a lot for somebody who, who puts a lot of work into this. And um, yeah, that was the long primer, but I think the the TLDR was. Uh, watch the All Stars episode one if you're skeptical and go back to Maryland if you want to give it a full shot.
0: Yeah, well and because uh, I also think like in terms of talking about it, there's also sort of like a threshold for uh for me, like if like like recently uh I you know Survivor New Zealand has been airing, or New Zealand Survivor, whatever it is. Uh yeah. and um, like, it was the same thing with Australian Survivor. It was like, I hear about it. And I'm like, OK, sure. But then, like, the more I hear about it, the more interested I am. And it's like, I have to hear it about it. I have to hear about it enough times. Like, it has to stick. It's It can't just be like, oh, you know, a blip on the radar and then it goes away. Um, like, if it keeps coming up, that's when I'm like, OK you know, this is sticking in people's minds. This is, this is clearly, uh, you know, getting people invested that now it's something that I'm interested in checking out. So, uh, you know, if, if you do like something, just talk about it all the time, because, uh, if you want to involve more people, uh, and, and help, uh, contribute toward its its success, I think that's a, uh, that's a vital part of it.
1: You can't do anything more to help. And also it's more fun for you. If you're watching something and you have people to talk to about it, this is the first, season that people have really been able to engage with other fans I think and I've done these recaps and roundtables and stuff and that's been totally different for me and I didn't have the fan base to do that before but now I do so it makes a lot more fun and um, yeah I mean with with it's 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 all about the numbers like TV watching is all about FOMO everybody can watch a TV preview and be like oh that's kind of interesting from a, a show's trailer but nobody actually watches a show unless they are either really invested in the Concept, or if they've heard about it, Those are the only two ways to get people in. So, um, it totally goes a long way to helping out that show. I think it's, and for, I mean, for podcasts, for TV shows, for movies, that word of mouth is, I think, so huge.
0: Yeah, and, and just to be just to be clear, uh, because I don't think we like really uh, properly like set up exactly what to expect from the show, but it is uh, a semester long, so it's generally how many days? Somewhere between like eighty and ninety. Yeah, so very, this is not like a weekend or a week-long thing. This is a very long process uh, um, where, uh, you know, they spend that entire time. Uh, they're still going around, you know, doing their classes, living their life, but uh, they're also playing Survivor at the same time um, and filming themselves whenever they have Survivor conversations. And uh, they're in tribes, and they have challenges, and they have tribal councils that take place at night. Uh, like, you are getting everything that you would expect to get from watching the regular show survivor
1: totally uh, and that's I think what makes it fun and at the same time you know I, I really tried hard to not be an exact replica of the show I wanted to have have it be its own twist especially once I started editing it um, and you have interesting concepts like my show is entirely one world format anybody can talk to anybody they mm-hmm. all live on the same campus I didn't care about making them not talk to each other so that adds a totally different layer you have past relationships you have real-life conflicts, relationships, uh, other people that are pulling you away and scheduling conflicts and everything. And, and sometimes it adds for some totally different uh, experiences and storylines on the show that you would never get in the real show. And it also allowed me to try some twists and try some concepts that you wouldn't see in the show either. So um, there's something that, you know, there's the basis that every Survivor fan loves, but there's also totally new aspects and a spin on the game and the social relationships that, I think makes the show worth watching as an addition to Survivor.
0: Awesome. So, uh, and where can, where can people find all of this if they want to check it out? So
1: certainly just search Survivor Maryland on YouTube. There's no other channel that goes by the same name. Um, Facebook page too. Uh, And then I post a lot of stuff on Twitter these days. I've had to kind of go into full Survivor Maryland mode on Twitter. So uh, you can just follow me at Austin It's a pun. So A U S T I N is my name and then T A C I O U S S because somebody made the pun before me at <laughs> school and I didn't feel like coming up with another one. So probably should go. change that at some point, but add so out oh. in Maryland.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh well thank you again for uh, for coming on the show, uh Austin.
1: And thanks so much for having me on today
0: all right. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, The Terran Show, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can leave a review there. Uh, you can tweet at me, at ArmstrongTaren. You can go to website.com and uh, do little, plenty, of, plenty of fun stuff there. Um I've been I've been doing a lot of stuff on Twitch in the off season we just uh we just uh, Austin was on the uh the Secret Hitler stream that we did the other night um thinking about doing that as a as a regular Sunday thing uh I am I'm, th- I'm going to call it social strategy Sunday where we play social <laughs> strategy games uh when like, Sunday Brewquest coming on <laughs> Well I clearly need, she needs to be uh, I know her
1: I can reach out to her There yeah, you, you know go yeah
0: <laughs> Sunday so Brewquest yeah. playing Secret Hitler on Twitch
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, nice Christian. there. Yeah, there you go. Uh so uh I highly I highly recommend checking that out. It's it's a very fun game and there's going to be lots of uh, other similar kinds of games that we probably check out at some point as well. So make sure you check in all that stuff out on Twitch. I'm also playing video games and you can check that out if you're interested. Are there uh, showmances in those? In the video games? Yeah oh yeah i'm playing until dawn and there are all kind of there's lots of drama in until dawn it's a, it's a it's a story game so i'm like making decisions for these characters like uh there's yeah. you know two of the characters have new like new boyfriends and new girlfriends but they used to be dating each other and now there's a lot of drama and i have to like pick sides between them and like manage the social game it's, it's interesting when are you streaming Fortnite? what is that well, yeah, it'll happen uh, dr mike has been inviting me to Fortnite games on ps4 so <laughs> wow. yeah it's big time <laughs> There you go, it, it'll, it'll happen uh, Hopefully, we'll play hopefully Fortnite with Dr. Mike at some point um, <laughs> Alright, well, thank you everyone for listening I will see you next time Terrence asking questions Taryn's finding out Terrence looking deeper That's what it's all about It's the Taryn Show Showing you